Well, I have to confess something that may change the way that you look at me forever. I don't like sweet tea. I didn't grow up drinking sweet tea way up north in West Virginia. It was too sweet for me. But then I moved to Charleston, and when offered, I said, thank you, I don't drink sweet tea. It's just too sweet for me. And they said, you don't like sweet tea. You just haven't tasted ours. I think they missed the part where I said, it's too sweet for me. And so they said, here, try some. And then with the words of Shakespeare ringing in my ears, oh, what fools these mortals be, I tasted it. And then I understood what they meant when they said, honey, we don't drink our sweet tea. We eat it with a spoon. And that was the first and the last drop of southern sweet tea that's passed my lips in 26 years. Sugar is sort of associated with the South, isn't it? It's part of the southern palate. It's added to almost everything. Not only tea and desserts, but vegetables. And cornbread becomes corn cake. Even our language, honey, sugar, sweetie. What are we trying to cover up with all that sugar? Especially if it spills over into our relationships, if we attempt to sugarcoat them with the hopes of making them more palatable. Listen, the relationships that you and I are to have with one another as believers in Christ shouldn't be sugarcoated. They shouldn't be coated with anything. They should be pure, sincere, and earnest. As believers in Christ, we have to have earnest authentic relationships with one another. And that's what I want us to talk about this morning as we return once again to 1 Peter chapter 1. So if you have your Bibles, if you'll take those out now and turn to 1 Peter. If you're using a pew in the Bible, you'll find the passage for this morning on page 1014. And when you've found your place, would you stand so that we might hear read together the word of the living God. Under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, the Apostle Peter writes, beginning in verse 22, Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth, for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding Word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass, the grass withers and the gospel falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, bless now your word, we pray, to our hearts, to our minds, to our souls, to our actions. Transform us through your word as your spirit joins it now in this moment, for we pray in Jesus' name. 
Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Well, we come this morning to the fourth and the final command of chapter one of this book of First Peter. And we find in the second half of verse 22, this fourth command, which is this, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Now notice that Peter does not charge us to love God from a pure heart, not here anyway. That would be easy for us, wouldn't it? Because God is love. Love is the essence of the being of God. And when we have hearts and minds and eyes to see, we'll understand that God never does anything in our lives that's unloving. God, in His being, will never give us reason not to love Him. God is is constant, he's steady, he's unchanging, he's always faithful, lavishing always his grace upon us. But God's not the object of this command. The object of this command and our love is other people, specifically other believers in Christ, people who are not constant, people who are not steady, People who are not unchanging. People who are not always faithful or gracious. Some ocean explorers came upon an uncharted island. And when they went ashore, they discovered a man who had been stranded alone on the island for 20 years. When they looked around the island, they noticed three structures. And they said to the man, we thought you were here alone. And the man said, I am. And they asked him, then why do you have these three structures? Well, the castaway pointed to the first structure, and he said, well, that one there, that's my house. And then he pointed to the second structure, and he said, that is where I go to church. And so the explorers scratched their head and pointed to the third structure that looked exactly like the second structure, and they said, then then what is that other structure? And the man said, oh, that's where I used to go to church. (laughs) So there's your bad joke for the day. Maybe for the month, maybe for the year. But it strikes at something very true. Or otherwise it wouldn't be a joke and it wouldn't be just a little bit funny. The church has a reputation for not loving each other very well. Or for having a sweet tea only kind of love. But that's not the love to which Peter calls us this morning in verse 22. And so for the rest of our time together, we're going to look quickly at the quality of the love that we are to have for one another. And then secondly, we're going to look at the prerequisite to being able to love each other with this kind of love. So first... The quality of that love that we're to have for each other. So look around the pews right now. Just glance around. Because the love we're talking about is the love that we are to have for these people right here. You're, you're in uh, good, good luck this morning if you're a visitor because you can be excluded from it. But for the rest of it, us, it's the way it's got to be. So, 
Peter uses two words to describe the love. The first is an adjective in verse 22, and it is sincere. Paul said, uh, Peter says we're to have sincere brotherly love. Now here's the definition of sincere. It means without pretense, genuine. Literally, it means without play acting. So I'm going to say that again. Sincere love is love without pretense. It's love that's genuine. And it's love that doesn't include any play acting. There's no sweet tea love here. The second word is an adverb because love is both a thing and it's also an action. Peter says love one another earnestly. The word earnest pertains to being persevering. It means to be eager, fervent, and constant. And so, earnest love is a love that perseveres. It's a love that doesn't give up. Earnest love is eager. It's not hesitant. It's not eye-rolling. It's not holding back. Earnest love rushes in. Earnest love is constant. The ups, the downs, the disappointments, the hurts, earnest love stays constant. Now, if that joke has some kernel of truth in it, we might not always love each other in this way. Perhaps we're more often known for abandoning relationships with each other instead of sticking it out and working it out with people that we cannot control. In the 80s, we had cabbage patch dolls and lifelong friendships among believers were severed because this family allowed cabbage patch dolls and this family didn't allow cabbage patch dolls. In the 90s, we had the advent of Harry Potter and lifelong relationships were severed between believers because this family allowed their children to read Harry Potter. And this family didn't allow their children to read Harry Potter. And of course, we can get really comfortable right now in this moment and talk about masks and vaccines and elections. John Flavel, famous 17th century Puritan, Presbyterian preacher, and author writes this. What? At peace with the Father and at war with His children? It cannot be. And yet it is. And so before we write off loving each other sincerely and earnestly as not possible because, well, we've been around church long enough to know that it just doesn't happen. Or if it does happen, it's when only everything is smooth sailing and there's no pandemics or elections or no carpet color to choose. Before we write it off, let's look carefully at how Peter writes this. Before he gives the command to love, he gives the prerequisite for having that love. You can't just jump into this kind of love. Not the kind of love that Peter's talking about here. Not sincere and earnest love. Brotherly, sisterly love. A step comes before that. So look again in verse 22. 
having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth. Here's the prerequisite. The word purify simply means to cleanse. And it's in the perfect active participle. And the reason that's important is because it means that this purifying is something that happened beforehand, but the effects of it inform the present. That's why that tense is important. And that makes this cleansing, this purification, something that you and I must do before we can love as we're required to love. Now, whether we like it or not, or whether our culture likes it or not, the implication of this verse is that our souls are not pure. The implication is that they are impure, that foreign objects are there that do not belong in the heart, in the soul, in the being of one who is a believer in Christ Things that prevent us from being able to love as Peter says we should love. Jeremiah 17, 9. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? When our physical body is sick, it does things that do not need to be spoken here at this time to eliminate the virus. To get rid of the bug. And though we don't like it, that's the kind of cleansing our souls need before we can love. What in your heart makes it impure? Especially in relation to other people that would prohibit you from loving them. How about envy or covetousness. God knows very well this condition to which we have fallen because of sin. And it's why envy makes one of the commandments. It's number 10. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor. See, we want to have what other people have. We covet their belongings. We covet their address. We covet their spouse, their job, their status. We cover, covet the, the favor they have with other people, the job that they have. We covet even the gifts that God has given to them. And that comes from a deep dissatisfaction with what God has given to us, what God has ordained for you. And for me, where it is and when it is that we should dwell, where specifically and with whom specifically, he's placed us to accomplish his purpose. The Apostle Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 7, Only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. This is my rule In all the churches. Why is this the rule? In all the churches, probably because in all the churches, everywhere, there are people who are discontent 
with the life that God has assigned them. They want someone else's life. It's difficult to love someone when you envy them. Or maybe our soul needs to be cleansed of pride. Philippians 2.23 says, In humility, in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Unfortunately, in pride, we count ourselves more significant than others. And it's difficult to love well someone that you feel superior to or better than. Now, look. Our politicians, the talking heads on media, because of their influence, we've grown used to them just making declarations. They need not be founded upon any truth. They need not be supported by facts. They just are proclaimed to be so. Why? Because they said so. You can proclaim all day long that human beings are basically good at heart and it will never, ever be true. It doesn't make me happy to say that because I'm a human being. But this is not our reality. Our hearts, our souls must be cleansed. And the cleansing is prerequisite to loving. And according to these verses, what will bring about that loving, that cleansing? Look again in verse 22. Peter says, having purified your souls, listen, by your obedience to the truth. It's God's truth. Cleanses. Let me remind you again that Peter was in the upper room with Jesus on the last night of his life when Jesus washed the disciples' feet. And when Jesus came to Peter to wash his feet, Peter said, You shall never wash my feet. And Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no share with me. And then Jesus went on to say later, Already you are clean because of the word. You're clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. And finally that night, Peter heard Jesus pray this, Father, sanctify them, purify them by truth. Your word is truth. And so now Peter's had over 30 years of living in relationship with others, other believers. And in those 30 years, sparks have flown. And Peter has learned that God's truth is what purifies our soul. Taking one verse of truth after the other and scrubbing, scrubbing our souls with its truth, obeying that truth, that's the only way. You and I will be able to love as God calls us to love. And that's why Peter puts so much emphasis on the Word. Here in these verses, when he's really commanding love, obey the truth. Verse 23, born again through the living Word of God. Verse 25, the Word of the Lord remains forever. So don't miss it, don't miss it, don't miss it. God's truth, God's Word is what purifies. Are you keeping your soul clean through immersing yourself 
and washing yourself with the Word of God, letting it spill over you, staying in that Word long enough for it to get down in all the cracks and crevices of your soul. This is the prerequisite to loving others earnestly and sincerely. It also makes it true that you can't really love others apart from God's truth. You've heard it yourself. Here in these verses, Peter draws a tight knot, ties a tight tight knot between truth and love. Jesus said, What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. In that context, Jesus is talking about marriage, but the application is for anything that God has joined together. And listen, God has joined together truth and love. They go together. Love can only be sweet tea. Love, if it's separated from the truth of God's Word. Now, you finish this statement for me, you who are part of Redeemer, because you, well, I hope you know it. Whatever God ordains... Ah, whatever God ordains, Satan opposes. The enemy of our souls, not the one who cleanses our souls, the enemy of our souls seeks to separate what God has joined together. And what does he deceive people into saying? You've heard it over and over. Just turn on any media. I am living out my own truth. Please raise your hand if you've heard that said. I am living out my own truth, my truth, not God's truth, truth as they define it and determine it for themselves. And if you dare challenge their truth, you are labeled unloving. If you hold to God's word in our culture, you are labeled unloving. You don't need me to tell you the truth of the fact that more and more The truth that we hold dear is now being labeled as hate speech. And it's getting into the church as well. God's truth is being abandoned or at least ignored for the current social agenda. We are being eroded by the drip, 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 drip of water that's not clean, of water that's not the truth. We're deluded into believing that this makes us more loving, the most loving that believers have ever been. Come on, you people. 2023, and we think now at long last, we above all other human beings who have ever lived, we have finally gotten it right. Ridiculous. The irony Is it the only way to really love people? And people need to be loved. The only way to love them is through speaking the truth to them. Listen to what Paul writes in Ephesians. Are y'all okay? It's hot in here. Not much longer. He tells us that Christ gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, the teachers, all of these focused on word ministry to equip the saints for the work of ministry. For building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood 
to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow, listen to this, so that it builds itself up in, guess what? Love. Truth leads to love. If we really want to love each other well, if we want to love the world well, we have to purify our souls with the truth of God's Word. Our souls won't be ready to love anyone else if God's truth has not first shaped us in every area of life to which Scripture speaks. And Peter's going to tell us in the next chapter, in the next book, that God has given us everything we need for life and godliness. We have it all. So what Christ has joined together, let not man separate. Christ has joined truth and love. And the only way to truly love is to lovingly live, lovingly live in God's truth. And you know what is going to enable us to love in this way? Instead of getting angry or frustrated with those who don't live in the truth, who deny the truth, who twist the truth, who evade the truth, the only hope is the gospel. We've already read it this morning. But God shows His love for us, and then while we were sinners, Christ died for us. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by His life. The truth is that God loved us. He loved you, and He loved me, even when we were sinners. Is that good news to your soul? And so you and I are without excuse When it comes to loving others, one more quote. Another 17th century Puritan Presbyterian preacher, part of the Westminster Assembly, asked by that assembly to preach four times for them while they were putting together the Westminster Confession of Faith. William Spurstow, he writes this. God's love does not spring from delight in our beauty, but from pity to our deformity. God's love does not spring because we're so beautiful. God's love springs because He pities our deformity. Sweet tea, love, loves the beautiful. Christ's love is genuine and earnest with those struggling with and deformed by sin. I have sin deformities. I might not see them. I probably don't. But you do. Will you love me anyway? Will you speak the truth to those deformities so that they are reformed by the truth of God's Word? That's not sweet tea love. That's genuine, earnest love. You have 
sin deformities. You might not see them, but the rest of us might. Will we speak truth to one another, to those deformities, so that they could be reformed according to God's Word? That's not sweet tea love. That's genuine, earnest love. So we have to love in this way. And more importantly, we have to be open to being loved in this way. You know what we do? We put off the sound, no, no, no. We love, we have to receive the love back. God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Let's keep our souls clean with this gospel. Then we, as the genuinely loved ones, as the earnestly loved ones, can earnestly love others. Our love for one another is our greatest, one of our greatest means of evangelism. It worked in the early church, the church that was being persecuted. People looked from the outside to the inside, and this is what they said. See how they love one another. And they were amazed. You can't find much love in the world right now. A lot of hate, a lot of rancor, but not much love. We can show love. Listen, we can show love, earnest love, pure love among ourselves, a love that might cause people to say, where did you get that? Let me have some. Not because it's sweet tea, but because it's real. Let's pray. Father, we need you, we need the strength, the power of your Spirit to love one another well, to love truly, to let you define love for us, to not let our culture define love, which clearly it cannot as we spiral further and further into chaos and confusion. Help us know what true love is. The love that you showed us through Christ. May we show it to others, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.